Welcome back to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Did I not say it good enough? You said it outstandingly. (laughs) You know, there is no place that I would rather be than with you here tonight with the excitement, with the drama of episode 49 Red Seas Under Red Skies, what do you think is going to happen in the 12th chapter of this novel? If you have opinions, call us on the Nike hotline at 877-RED-SEAS. That's 877-RED-SEAS. We will answer your questions. What's Zamira going to do with the ship? So welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. We are here. I'm the Duchess. I'm the Duke. And the Duke has been watching the NFL draft all day, in case you can't tell. It's my favorite time of the year. He loves the NFL draft, so get it's ready the, for sportscaster voice. It's the nerdiest all night long. of all the sports endeavors. It really is. See, it's it's you take sports ball. And then you find a way to make it as nerdy as you possibly can. Give us your comments on the Nike Sports Hotline. Call 877-RED SEAS. The phone lines are lighting up. <laughs> so this week we are talking about Red Seas Under Red Skies by Scott Lynch. We are talking about the chapters. Scott Lynch. Indeed. Six Indeed. foot two, 237 pounds. Got a wingspan, hands like a stingray. <laughs> like a stingray. <laughs> soft touch. Makes him a better writer. Yes, soft hands. Big hands. <laughs> you know what they say about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big hands. He's got great Good control writer. of the pen. <laughs> this week we're talking about chapters 12 through 13. Next up... We are finishing the book. Wow. That right? is very exciting. That's the kind of drama, the excitement that you get out of the Duke and Duchess podcast. Driving it home, baby. Completion. <laughs> Why don't you give them our spoiler policy? So our spoiler policy is very simply that Liz has read these novels several times. She's studied she has poured herself into it. She knows the playbook in and out. Her Wonderlic score is amazing. I'm a dumb butt who's never read them before. I don't know what's going to happen. So we aren't going to spoil anything beyond Chapter 13 of Red Seas Under Red Skies. So how'd you like this section overall? I haven't decided yet. You had some feelings. I definitely had feelings. You kept walking by me and going, I have feelings. <laughs> I didn't like how it ended. I I did not think you would. Did not like how it ended. So, I mean, we'll get obviously to that. Right. But, um, yeah, so I came to what I thought was a realization. And I kind of thought I knew how things were going to play out. And then that bullshit happened. And now I have no idea. 
It was very hard to stop right there, I imagine. Yeah. So, but I have feels. We'll we'll get to them. Well, let's get into chapter 12. Let's. Chapter 12 was called Port Prodigal. And in this chapter, Locke, Jean, and the rest of the Poison Orchids crew uh, sailed to Port Prodigal. Yeah, absolutely. And a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, was this this is when they sailed through the the passage. Yeah, the passage and they heard all the crazy voices inside their own heads. That was pretty creepy. We start off with Locke, Jean, and the rest of the Red Messenger's crew settling into the Poison Orchids routine. And there's a lot of talk about the the different watches and different colors, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a little bit significant that they talk about Locke and Jean being on the red watch, which happens under the red sky. So there you go. A little bit of titular action going on right there. Gotcha. Titular red sky. And there's so many good names among the Poison Orchid crew. Mum Chance. I know. That's a great name. Utgar. We need to have a couple more kids. I'm just telling you. (laughs) (laughs) So, right. So they're sailing to. create our own farm system. We could. (laughs) We just need a barricade. And a kid named Mum Chance. And a kid named that's, that that's, kid's gonna be the run to the litter, you know, right there. Be cagey. Mum Chance. Crafty that one. <laughs> so yes, so the, they're they're sailing to the the Ghost Wind Islands, and we find out why the Ghost Wind Islands are not uh, crawling with official vessels. Why these islands have kind of been left for themselves. Well, and also why they call them. The ghost winds. The ghost winds. Because they're dang hard to get to. Well, and, and on the wind are the voices of fucking ghosts. Right? I love this part, the tension that's built. They're, they're sailing along. They're approaching these islands. And the way that Scott Lynch kind of builds up your anticipation for what's going to happen. You know, because it's not like, oh, hey, we're going to the ghost wind islands. There's going to be ghosts By there. the way. Yeah. By the way, you know, they start approaching these islands and the crew just starts mentioning things like, well, we're not going to be able to get there the way we like. We're going to have to go the other way. So there are, are, are two ways to get to the Ghostwind Islands and one is called the Trader's Gate and it's twisty and turny and takes several days to get through. And the other is called the Parlor Passage. So they realize they're going to have to take this Parlor Passage and there's all this kind of drama built up. But uh, starting with Zamira drugs the children in order to get through the parlor passage. And then they just start saying things like, how many lanterns should I get out of the hold? All of them. (laughs) There's a fog coming up. That's how it starts. (laughs) That's how it always begins. (laughs) But it's really, it's subtle and it really does like raise this tension. So they're approaching this island. They're going through this channel. This fog comes up and all of a sudden they start to hear voices speaking to them so i actually thought in this part where they're navigating the the parlor passage was a good use of sailing lingo Hmm. of obscure sailing lingo because they're sailing through and there's this tension rising and at the same time we have drakasha who is kind of shouting incomprehensible commands and the crew is running but it doesn't feel expositiony like yeah. This is I'm explaining about sailing now. It was like I was like, wow, this crew is doing something really complicated and difficult, 
all the while, all this creepy stuff is happening all around yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like a, an asset to the story versus in, in other parts of the book, I felt it was tacked on just to be like, oh, look what I know about boats. So, and we get to see another bit, a little bit of the supernatural. We do, yeah. In this section too, because we haven't seen too much of that in this book so no, far. Mm-mm. No, and so we get, yeah, we get to add a little bit to the overall world building. My only thought about this is that I hope it does sort of lead to something somewhere. Like, I hope it is a piece of evidence that, you know, somewhere in book four or five starts to actually sort of draw us into the to the, the, the bigger picture. So, well, you know, we'll have to see. Right, because we haven't seen, again, it's been a very low magic world. You know, we have all this old stuff. And for me, that's one of the most interesting parts about the books is the kind of hints dropped about the Elder and Race yeah. and the Elder Glass. And then we've got the the Bonds Magi who are, by Shit, contrast, crazy really crazy powerful. And on the outset, seem to not really have a lot of checks on their power, you know, which for me is a mystery in and of itself. Because in any universe where there's magic, there's always a price to the magic. You know, the more powerful someone is, they're going to get burned out or pay some kind of price for it. Mm -hmm. And these magicians seem to have like a lot of powers. You know, they can manipulate people's minds and matter and animals and just seem to take anything away from them that we know of. True. So I think that's kind of interesting. And now we have a creepy mind control ghost that floats on the water and Tells you how itchy you are. <laughs> well, and I think what was the most relevant part of it knows Locke's real name. That was a very creepy part because no one outside of Jean knows Locke's real name. So that was kind of creepy. But they make it through. They do. To the pirate island. Which is, you know, which is good because if it ended right there, I would have been like, man, there's like. 150 pages to go, like, assholes. <laughs> like. So they make it through and to Port Prodigal, and Drakasha cautiously gets a shore party together, because apparently she has to go in and show the other ship captains who's boss. So there was kind of a funny part here, I thought, where she doesn't want to bring Locke and John at first, um, because, you know, this is a rough town. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to. And he's just like, we're originally from Camor. And she's like, oh, <laughs> get in the boat. Get in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that part, too. So Drakasha commences being a total badass. Oh, yeah. I mean, how did you like the scene in the uh, Tattered Crimson? It was all right. She told someone that he looked like someone is sculpting an ass out of a human face. <laughs> Okay. Come on. That is a sick burn. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I loved it. <laughs> because I could just picture Gina Torres just playing that scene to the hilt. It's yeah. better if you picture Gina Torres that... saying, you're going to take your first drink Cyrune style. Pow! It would be like this. <laughs> Sorry, I may read that scene a couple of times in my head, and I'm just like, yeah, Gina Torres, puncher. I'll be really disappointed if there's a movie and Gina Torres doesn't. Doesn't play Zamira. Doesn't play Zamira. No, that's a good point. It's true. Anyway, oh, and are you on your ass down there or your head? Does anyone think there's a difference? 
boom, what? You got a, a butt for a face, man. <laughs> face looks like a butt, in case you didn't get that. I mean, those two parts <laughs> of the body don't look anything alike. <laughs> I mean, not normally. Boom. If you've got comments, call us on the Nike hotline, 877-RED-SEAS. The phone lines are lighting up. How kind of calls do we have over there, Duchess? I'm going to build an arsenal of things to throw at you. <laughs> the callers have comments. They want They want to chime in. They want to know, so, where's the poison orchid going to go? So I got a question for you. Go ahead. Would you rather hang out at the Aeolian? Or the Tattered Crimson. Like, what kind of question is that? At the Aeolian? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of tame. <laughs> depending yeah. on it would depend on if I got the high table or not. Yeah, because I, I I don't want to die. <laughs> tame is kind of my style. <laughs> Ask me twenty years ago, I might have no. I no, I would have still wouldn't hang out at the Aeolian. So the the thing about this chapter to me, chapter twelve in general, is. We're getting to the end of the book, and we're introducing, like, new characters and new cities, but, like, I don't really have a sense yet of whether or not that's going to matter or tie into anything, so I'm just sort of like, yeah, okay, let's just move on. Like, I want to find out what's going to happen. Like, have they been poisoned? Have they not been poisoned? Are they going to, like, are they going to escape this bullshit? Somebody's going to die. Like, so, like... So to me, like all the stuff with, it was like, it was well written, but I just kind of want to get on with it. Right. And I feel like this, at this part, I, I kind of w- was where I got all in with Zamira and the sailors. And I was mm. like, I was like, you know what? Fuck yeah. Let's just do some pirate shit. Like, let's just swagger around, punch people with a fist full of rings, spit drinks in someone's eye. I'm, I went, I went there. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was a good ride for me. I've always thought that about you. I've always known that you were a nautical badass. (laughs) Way deep down. (laughs) So deep. (laughs) I've actually never punched another human in my life. (laughs) Or been on a boat. I... (laughs) It's It's true. So far from being a pirate, you guys. (laughs) Oh... We're getting. I'm opening up Land here tonight. Locked badass. Just, I'm just. Oh, I feel, I feel released. <laughs> <laughs> so Zamira calls a council of captains. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's well, kind of wa- like the Council of Elrond. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's more cockswallops. Did you just say cockswallow again? Cockswallop. Oh, Chad. okay. I thought it was. Come on, PG two, man. Two episodes in a row. <laughs> You talked about cock swallowing. <laughs> What's the difference between a cock swallow and a cock swallop? Uh, one cleans up after itself. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the other podcast. I'm just guessing. I don't. I mean, I don't know. So we've got a council of captains. So we have we a do. little scene where. So the way the Ghost Wind Isles are loosely organized, we find out, is there's basically, what, six? Oh, I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. The list of them. Six main captains. One, two, three, four. Yeah. There's like 
five, five captains of these ships. And they kind of are, are the ruling council, but only very loosely. They really more kind of get together to make sure that nobody's going to do anything crazy that's going to get them all killed, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have kind of this tenuous agreement not to raid too close to Telvarar. Yeah. So, so the army's like, so. Yeah, Zamir's like, I want to do something that's going to get us all killed. Right. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. But um, so we've got this council of captains, and then they've got these enforcers who basically make sure that it's not complete and total anarchy in Port Prodigal. Yeah. But so I guess Zamira starts spreading the word after she goes in, lays the smack down on, a, on another captain who wants to sit in her seat. And so we, basically Zamira is the second biggest badass of yeah, the yeah. five. Mm-hmm. The biggest badass is a captain named Rodanoff. Who is taller than Jean. Big he, dude. He's he's definitely played by Christopher Hivju. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Great set of tits. Totally. <laughs> So they get together, though. So so Zamira calls them all together, and she lays out what Locke has told her. But that doesn't happen quite yet. She, she calls the Council of Captains, mm-hmm. and before that, they go and see the ship breaker. Was that before? Oh, because oh, she calls the Council, but gotcha. Okay, I right. see where the we The Council are. doesn't yep. happen until Chapter 13. Yeah, until the next one, yep. Mm-hmm. Keep your panties on over there. Well, I got it, I got it. Well, that shipbreaker come around. It's hard for me to keep these panties on. Ooh, he all man, all of them, all. So apparently, the way that the trading works with the pirates, you know, the pirates start to wonder they're stealing all this stuff, but if they can't take their ships anywhere other than Port Prodigal, how do they get money for it? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that. They take the stuff to Port Prodigal. They sell the ships to this guy named the Shipbreaker. And then there's all these sort of shady side guys who will come and take the goods and then sell them, you know, pay very little for them, Mm -hmm. sell them back. You know, they were saying some ships have been stolen and resold to different people. It's like the Patapsico flea market. Exactly. Exactly like the Patapsico flea market. There are 12 people who will get that. (laughs) And I'm one of them. (laughs) So Zamira is frustrated by the shipbreaker. All the captains are because he's basically killed off all of his competition. And now he kind of thinks above his station. He's a little too big for his britches, literally. And he's got some big britches. He's got some big. So the shipbreaker is a large man. And how Baron Harkonnen is this? Yeah. But he comes out. And he's literally got two servants that come up with a belly shelf. So he can rest his belly so on it. So he can rest his belly when he stands up. <sighs> I want a boob shelf. Ooh, that's a good I'm idea. just saying. I would give money for someone to walk around. I think any of you ladies out there, there's probably some of you ladies out there <laughs> that would agree with me. Just saying. <laughs> Anyway, Locke comes out and they run this little mini scam. It's like a little side thing to get the shipbreaker to mm-hmm. pay a little more than he wants. So it's interesting because Locke comes out and plays this this other noble who's like, oh, you know, I want to buy the ship, you know, and fake begins a fake bidding war against mm-hmm. the shipbreaker and gets him to to pay two thousand for Solari for a ship they expected to maybe get eleven hundred for. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same scheme that Jean used to get Cosetta to take, to take medicine. 
mm-hmm. a little while ago when they were going to drug her to get her through the parlor passage. Zamira was trying to get her to take milk of the poppy so she would go to sleep and she didn't want to. And John was like, oh, that looks delicious. I want some of it. And they got her to drink it. So yeah, I thought yeah. that was that was interesting. And I thought it was just refreshing to kind of see them actually do something well. And kind yeah, of it, it was. Yeah, that that was the part of chapter 12 I liked. And it was kind of getting to see, you know, Locke do what Locke does best. I mean, even though it's a simple ruse, but, you know, he's kind of also kind of sticking it to a guy who, from the very beginning, is a prick, you know, like not somebody you have a lot of respect for. So you're happy to see this guy, you know, get his comeuppance. So that was chapter 12. Yay. So chapter, chapter 13 is where all the shit happens. All the shit happens. So the first thing that happened, and chapter 13 is called Points of Decision. And the first thing that happens is the, the Council of... Yeah, the actual Council. Of Captains. Yeah. The Council of Coxwellops. I'm, sorry, <laughs> I'm just going to say that word. I don't get to it's, say it in my daily life, you guys. Fun to say. It is kind of fun to say. You I mean don't get to you, say it before 10 o'clock at night. You mean when you're doing lunch duty in the third grade, you don't get to... <laughs> come on, you little Coxwallops, get over here and... Damn. Oh, I want to sometimes. No. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I hope I don't get arrested for it. <laughs> you know, one time when our our oldest was like six, mm-hmm. she came up to the Duke and I and, and said, I know the F word. <laughs> and we were like, no, you don't. I do. <laughs> I heard someone say it. We said, okay. Come on, whisper it on my ear. She comes over and goes, Fuckle. <laughs> oh. And and uh just like her, I have no idea what cockswallow means, but I think it's But it's something bad and funny. It's gotta to say. be bad. And I was like, Don't ever say that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which by the way, is why you're a genius parent. <laughs> Because you didn't laugh at her. You were like, don't ever use that word again. (laughs) (laughs) She knows it now. Anyway, sorry. So what did you think of the Council of Captains? Uh, Zamira comes. She lays it all out, puts the whole story out there. Esri's a little shocked because there's some of the things that she hasn't heard. And and she asks them not to interfere, but she is going to try and give Stragos a little bit of what he wants so that they at least know what his plan is, so that he thinks his plan is succeeding. So there's a part of me that feels like Zamira accepted what Locke was saying about all this way too easily. And that then going to the council, they all sort of accept this way too easily. You find out that that's not entirely what it is what's going on. There's a little bit more kind of going on behind the scenes in a, in a later section of chapter 13. It's hard for me to say whether or not that's wise because I, d- I just don't really feel like the world building in this particular book hasn't been quite as good as it was in the lives of Locke Lamora, where I felt like I had a better sense of kind of what might happen in a given you know scenario, what might be realistic. I don't I don't feel that here. But the other thing I've noticed about this particular book is 
that a lot of the important characters who are holding the cards are very one-dimensional, you know, and, and they're also sort of kind of repeats of other characters in, in certain ways that we've seen, you know, like I felt like Barsavi in the lies of Locke Lamora was a pretty one note character. He had a fairly interesting background, but it felt like he was kind of a one note character. And now you get Requin and the Archon and they're like, they're like just different, different cuts of the same asshole fabric. Like, then you get here and you get to meet Zamira. Now you do get a little bit of, I, I feel like Zamira is fairly well fleshed out and I like her, but then all this other captains in these councils, it's like, I don't know. I don't know enough about these people to understand if this would be appropriate for them to make this decision. So, so like a lot of other things, I'm just like, okay, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of go, go with it. I, I can play along. It makes enough sense that I'm, that I'm not like, okay, this is, totally ridiculous i still think the idea of the art you know the archon's idea of sending these guys out here to do this was ridiculous and we'll get more into that later but this i can sort of i'm like okay let's move on there are you know we're always comparing this book with name of the wind because we and uh with the king killer chronicles because we did them back to back yeah but um there are a lot more characters in this book overall that's true. King Killer, for sure. That's true. Um, that is a big difference. Well, especially kind of on a per page count, because right. I, I don't know if the actual number of name characters would would be more, but you're encountering them at a much more brisk pace. You know, you do encounter a lot of characters in King Killer, but that's because those books are freaking enormous, you know. Um, these books are half the size, and it's probably the same amount of characters, or, or maybe even more. So it, that's a good point. But I don't know that, uh, to me, that doesn't necessarily make it any more of a good decision. You know, when we talked about Kingkiller, the, the guy who sold Locke his shoes on the way out of Tarbian felt real. True. Who sold both his shoes? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you meant. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's true, and I think again the difference being what Patrick Rothfuss gets you so emotionally invested in his main character mm-hmm. that his reactions to the characters around him color your perceptions of them as well. True. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, and you don't have. Th- you don't have the same emotional investment. No, you e- even don't. in the main characters, a little bit. You know, there were definitely uh, parts, but I feel like Scott Lynch. You know, his gift is more the crafting of his plot. Oh and, yeah, and the dialogue and yeah. I mean, he has great dialogue, and his plots are are really interesting. I feel like again, this suffers a little bit from the fact that we're reading it at we're reading it at a faster pace, and I think that's good. But you know, this is a book that would benefit from being able to just plow through it. Oh yeah, and every other time I've read it, again, I have just plowed through. It's hard to put down. Yeah, I mean, so I think Patrick Rothfuss builds characters, and and George R. R. Martin also sort of builds characters that just feel incredibly real and you pick up you learn things about them through these incredibly subtle ways like we're 
you know, we're a thousand pages or 1500 pages into King Killer. We're still like getting a scent. We're picking up tiny little nuances of Denna that give us hints to a backstory that's not ever really confirmed anywhere else on the basis of the way she braids her hair. Like, so there's just a certain depth to those characters that we don't have in this book. And so in a book where the only thing we have to stand on is the plot and the dialogue, I'm just looking for plot and dialogue. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think we both would agree that while, you know, we're comparing these two authors directly and obviously every author has strengths and less strengths, but I don't think either of us is saying that we, we don't like the characters in this book or don't think they're well written. I think if, when you compare the the peripheral characters in each of them, certainly um, there there are some that are less well fleshed out in this book. But I'm quite attached to. Well, you know my feelings about John Tannen. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, you do. Um, mm. I, I'm quite attached to the main characters in these books. Yeah, yeah, and again, it's just it's a very different thing. I mean, when we were when I got we got through with the name of the wind, you know, my chief complaint was. We just read 700 pages and nothing happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, the total opposite of a Scott Lynch book. Right, exactly. I mean, uh, another chapter at Hogwarts was... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right. We're leaving Hogwarts, yeah. So, I mean, they just, they have their different strengths and advantages. I think Kingkiller lends itself better to a slower, more in-depth read. And I don't think these books do as much. These books are, I think, because of the way they're written, they're lent for you to tear through them. Well, wait till you read the third one. So, so well, we'll talk about that at the end. Um, so are we, are we ready to move on from the Council of Captains? Yeah, absolutely. So they go back to the ship. And Jean and Esri have to have a talk. She has discovered some things about him that yeah. he has never told her himself. And okay, so... And this is where I realized something that I sort of slapped myself for failing to realize to this point. And that is, Ezri's going to die. Why, why do you say that? Okay, because when she, when her and Jean said, I love you, I love you, and then she says, let's stay together, you know, and you could move in, and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what Sean wants. This is going to be great. And then I realize, wait a minute, the third book is not about them living a life of piracy. And it's sort of like we've said in in a number of other books or TV shows that we've watched, as soon as they express their love each other, you know, their love for each other, one of them's got to die. Well, it's not Jean. They're not going to spend their lives together. So Ezri's going to die. Is that, that's your prediction? Yeah, that's, yeah. It's wow. one of my predictions. So what bothered me about this scene is that, so Locke told Zamira everything. Yeah. In the chapter, All Else Truth. Mm-hmm. He told John that he told Zamira everything. Mm-hmm. John didn't tell Ezri. 
Yeah, I thought that too, yeah. Like, he deserved to get slapped across the face a couple of times. Yeah, I think so. You know, and he kind of goes into, like, explaining and that that he's really more traumatized about all of this than he's let on. Mm-hmm. So for me, that made him very human, and I, I, like, I thought that was well done. You know, because he talks about, you know, when I'm with you, I'm not thinking about that. I don't want to, like, ruin the time that we have together worrying about it, you know, and, and how it is to feel like, this poison inside of him and not yeah, know when yeah, it's yeah. gonna i mean he's he's a lot more terrified than he's let on and so far he's been the the emotionally resilient one he's been the strong one for yeah yeah of him and Locke. but you start to see that a little bit of what's going on underneath the surface here i thought that was well done yeah i agreed yeah so they they, they are able to make up and talk it out as we exhorts him to find a way to beat stragos and and live and um she says Losers don't fuck in this captain in this cabin. Yeah. And she does ask him to stay, but he asks her to leave. And they decide to not decide mm-hmm. where they're going to end up. She's not coming off that boat though. I, I like his line was, um, land has its pirates, same as the sea, and I'm one of them. Uh, but I think so if it was some sort of relationship. Like, if it was Esri and Locke for some reason, right? Locke is not looking for a home like Jean is. Locke oh, that's is, a good point. Locke is looking for a, for a con. Mm-hmm. He's looking for a job. He's looking for the next thing that the Crooked Warden wants him to do. You know, he's looking for a way to make the rich remember. He wants to go back to land. He wants to go back to Camor. He wants to go back to that life not so much for the brotherhood but for what they did jean wants a home he wants a brotherhood he wants the camaraderie he wants the relationship he's the romantic so jean will stay on that boat excellent analysis mr dukes we will find out whether you are right or not. I'm not super confident about this. This is where I was telling you I felt like I knew what was going to happen. And then the shit at the end of Chapter 13 happens. And now I'm like, well, I don't I don't really know. Um, I mean, I have two other predictions. And I'm not really, I'm not really rock solid on any of them. But if I had to guess. It's sort of like when we watched Game of Thrones last season. Mm-hmm. And we saw Grey Worm and Missandei start getting together and doing mm-hmm. it, and we both looked at each other and we were like, he's dead. He's gonna die. He's definitely gonna die. R.I.P. Grey Worm. <laughs> now, and we were wrong. Right, and he kept showing up. We'd be like, he's still alive? He's, how did he, he make it He had sex. Out? How is he still alive? Exactly. So it's the same <laughs> rules here. It's just that that I feel confident that it's not gonna be Jean that bites it, so therefore... Before it's got to be a, and and I think what's going to happen is I think the crew of the Poison Orchid is going to bear the brunt of whatever you know, however they f- fuck up the cons, you know, that they're pulling. And speaking of cons, we find out that Utgar is yeah. now working for Rodanoff. Bum bum bum. Yeah, that was a, and in kind of going back and rereading it, you can see ahead of time him just trying to kind of insert himself into little situations 
to pay attention to what's going on, and it makes him feel super slimy. I didn't catch it up to that point, mm-hmm. but obviously now in retrospect, I'm like, you son of a bitch, you yep. know? Like, So, yeah, he's, he's a pretty slimy bastard. And my question is, everything kind of made sense in that conversation to me, and I thought this Rodinoff guy is not really that... He's not really that crazy. Something just occurred to me. Rodinoff is working for the Archon. Hmm, what makes you say that? He never wanted to fight them the first time around. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to do it now. And he put something in that bag that he said, you know, if it becomes desperate, you use this. Pretty convinced that's a weapon to kill Zamira. He's, well, I don't know that he's working for the Archon, but he is working, he's working for somebody who doesn't want um, Zamira to do what she's doing. So, hmm, Okay. Have that just that thought just occurred to me, so I haven't really had a chance to think that through. But yeah, in that what was in that bag? I mean, to me, it seems obvious, some kind of a weapon. And the instructions were, push come to shove, you take Zamira out. Yeah, that seems to be the implication. So they leave Port Prodigal. They disguise the Orchid mm-hmm. as another ship, and uh, pull on up to Telvarar. And there's a bunch of burning ships in the background. They're lit in like celebration of some kind of festival. Yeah. But we, of course, remember that. The Festa Iono. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. uh, Good memory. Thank you. So we remember, of course, that the scene in the very beginning of the book was set against a burning ship. Yeah, and even on the even reading through this section, I didn't really catch it. I had to. It was only when I went back and reread it that I was like, "Oh, it's because they're just randomly burning ships as a part of this festival." I still, after reading the you know the the prologue or whatever, and then after reading chapter thirteen the first time. I was still was like, but whose galleon is that? Because right. the other one's two miles away. Right. Like, you know, I was still racking my brain over whose freaking galleon it was that they set on fire, you know? And uh, and then I was like, oh, it was just some random, it was just, it had nothing to do with anything. So I felt kind of like a dumbass there. But it was cool because, you know, that scene has kind of been in the background of this entire book and it's interesting. It was an interesting way to start the book, like this yeah. bit of tension. So you kind of know that that's coming up. As much as it was frustrating, that part's well written. No question about that. And so they they go. There's this burning ships in the background. Utgard tries to tag along. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing? What <laughs> was, can I, you guys hanging out? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to tell me any of your secrets or anything before <laughs> before you go? What are you guys doing in that tent? <laughs> why, is so, that, why is that tent shaking? <laughs> okay. I love the the running gag of um, Jean and Esri chasing their neighbors out of their cabins. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. So they've been gone from Telvarar for seven weeks, though. Yep. Seven weeks, a long time. A lot of time to train, a lot of time to get your body in shape, eat a lot of chicken and fish. You got to get out there, get some sprints in, some circuits. 
Who we got on the uh, on the Nike Sports Line there at eight seven seven Red Seas? That's eight seven seven Red Seas. Next caller, you're on the air. Well, we've got Stragos over here. Hey, that guy's an asshole, and uh, he's mighty pissed. <laughs> but he gives John and Locke the antidote anyway. So this was like when he was like, "Oh, this is what you bring me." I was like, "This son of a bitch really expected." this fucking plan to work. <laughs> I still thought it was some sort of like, to this point, I still thought it was like something he never really anticipated would work. That it was, you know, a, a small part of a bigger kind of system of things that was going to happen. And that could still happen, but that he didn't like whether or not they actually were successful wouldn't have really been relevant. It was just that he had to get these guys on a boat and send them out there for some other reason, but not that he actually thought it would work. No, he actually expects this stupid-ass harebrained scheme to work. The other thing that I thought at this point, I've gone back and forth on this a bunch. This is my other prediction. I don't think they were poisoned. Hmm. Logically, to me, that makes no sense. And that's why I've always said no it must be real but something about this section i was like i think it's i think it's fake it doesn't make any sense that it would be but i just feel like i just feel like it is we'll find out so their hope in going into this meeting was that they would be able to find a time to talk to or con or get some kind of leverage with the alchemist. Yeah. But they're denied that chance. And then they go to meet with Requin one more time. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole weird thing about the lock breaker. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's they, the story. The story they told they, him yeah, and they're yeah. able to con him and to be like, oh, I just need a little bit more time. And they they tell Requin that they want a piece of parchment with just something innocuous written on it, but signed and sealed by him so that they can accomplish this task that Requin thinks they're out to do for him. Yeah. So we know that's going to come back at some point. And at this point, I'm thinking, man, there's not a lot of book left. There's a lot of shit that's still got to happen. Yes, there is indeed. And it'll happen. Have faith. So in the last section of this chapter, uh, they're trying to get back. They're like, oh, phew, well, we have about two more months before we have to worry about any of this crap. Now we just have to get back to the ship. Never say we just have to get back to the ship. Never say I'll tell you who your mother is when I see you again. (laughs) When I see you again. (laughs) In hell. (laughs) So they have trouble making it back to the ship. They get attacked twice. And they they run for it there. And this brings us back to the scene at the beginning of the book yeah. where they're ambushed by crossbowmen. And uh, Jean tells the crossbowmen that, hey, I've actually cut a deal with your boss. Yeah. And then turns his crossbow unlock. And when they're running and they're like running down towards the pier, they're like coming down the steps and they're getting ready to run towards the pier. In my head, the first time I'm reading, it, I'm like, oh, no. That's when I'm like, is this the same? Like for some, somehow I recalled that, or or could just tell that it was going to the same area. 
And then when the guys stepped out and they, I was like, oh man, like, cause I really thought that this was going to happen later and we would have more evidence by which to judge and figure out who the fuck it is. Well, you don't. Cause that's the end of the chapter. Well, I know who it is. Who is it? It's the people, um, it's the people that Moraine works for. Hmm. It's a very good guess. Okay. Any more people, predictions? It, it's the only people it could be. It's really the only kind of candidates we have uh, where I feel like Jean would have had opportunity to cut a deal. Because he didn't have opportunity to cut a deal with Rodinoff. He didn't have an opportunity to cut a deal somehow with the Archon or with uh, Solendry or, you know... So it's really kind of a limited audience of people he could have potentially cut a deal with. I mean, um, at least that is assuming it's not some just completely random thing that came from out of nowhere. Like it's that or the Bonds Magi, you know, like is really the only people it could be because the only people where there really would have been opportunity. You know, it doesn't make sense that it would be like Zamira. So it kind of narrows it down. Like, it, I can't imagine anybody else it could be. So, like, it's not that I, it's not that I looked at this and was like, oh, yeah, these are the, these are the people Zamira work for. It was just like, well, it's, you know, by process of elimination, there's nobody else I can think of who who would make sense. Therefore, that's that's it. That's the end of the section. That's the end of the section. Yeah. Any other thoughts or feelings? No, I don't feel confident about any of this shit. (laughs) Any other predictions? No, those are my predictions. I I think that, I think that the crew of the poison orchid is going to get tore up bad. I think that, um, and it, and it, and it probably will be somehow by Rodinoff. I don't understand exactly how that ties back to the rest of the story, but I do think Rodinoff is going to tie back into the rest of the story. Whether he works for the people that Moraine works for, which would make sense, mm-hmm. um, or whether he works for the Archon, which makes less sense the more that I say it. I think it makes more sense that Moraine and Rodinoff are tied together somehow. So I'll make that my prediction. Poison Orchid's going to get gutted. Esri's going to die as a result of it. Rodinoff and Moraine are working for the same people. That's who Jean cuts a deal with. And I think that poison is bullshit. Them's Good predictions my, all. Them's my predictions. Awesome. We'll see. So, would you like to hear some interactions from our listeners? I would love that. Well, I can make that happen for you. So on our Facebook group page, Da Babalina says, I just realized why I'm enjoying being at sea so much because I read Arthur Ransom as a kid and I love those books, Swallows on Amazons, Peter Duck, and We Didn't Mean to Go to Sea and all the rest. It was like 50 billion years ago, but still. So a, a rare opinion that's really super enjoying the you know what? Some people really like boat stuff. Some people really, really Some do. Some people like boat are stuff. super into it. I like boat stuff. I just. I really like knitting. A lot of people find it boring. I wouldn't want to read a book about knitting. I mean, I would read a book about knitting. 
Okay. That's there cool. was this um, chick in the during World War Two. Oh yeah. Who was like this teenage girl, and it was during a really dangerous part of the war. I should know her name. I'll come back on the next podcast and tell you her <laughs> name. But uh, there was a time when like all of the spies, like they couldn't get spies behind German lines. Um, it was so dangerous to be a spy, and all these men were just getting, they would just get killed right away. So they they found this like this teenage girl, and she parachuted in behind enemy lines and spied on the Germans for like two years, and she left them messages for the other for the allied troops using knitting patterns it's pretty awesome she would knit scarves like detailing troop movements and leave them places and she's my hero i don't remember her name i read a book about her how awesome is that that's knitting is exciting y'all that's right it can be thrilling if you have opinions about knitting call us at 877 red seas so Dot Bobolina also on the Facebook page posted a question. I think this is probably a good thing to talk about. He said, I'm at the I'm at the end of chapter 13. When are we allowed to make predictions and observations about the current section being covered in the podcast? Do I do it before the episode? Would you wait? Prefer I wait until after? I don't want to spoil anything. And that's a, that's a good question because what we don't want to do is we don't want people who want to go to the Facebook page, but they're currently on episode seven to look at this and get spoilers for a book that they might read. Also, I won't read those posts if I think it contains things that might spoil me. I'll read it basically now, like when we're on the podcast is when I'll read it because I don't want it to influence what I'm going to say. So what I think makes the most sense is if you have a, like start a post with your observations, please do. We want the conversation but say, hey, I'm, these are going to be my observations uh, on, you know, chapter 12 and chapter 13, you know, uh, spoilers below, and then reply to yourself with the actual details. Oh, that's so smart. That way, nobody gets spoiled, but the people who want to go in there and talk about it can talk about it. And I can grab it and read it when it's actually time to start looking at that stuff. But I won't read it up until then. Right, that's kind of what Theo does. Yeah, exactly. I think that's good. I think that's good. Speaking of which. Theo says, here we go. It seemed like we had a lot of setup for the finale, but that isn't a bad thing. It just means, doesn't mean there's lots for me to think about. But he liked that Port Prodigal. He liked that there were only the two cool ways in. And uh, that that's kind of protected. But it makes it sound like it would be perilously easy to blockade were anything to kick off. So that's a really good point. My thought is that the only reason that Port Prodigal hasn't been totally stomped out by the army or the navy is that there really isn't that much there. And they haven't given them very much reason to go all the way out there and do any kind of prolonged campaign. Well, the other thing, too, and I thought about this during the council, but I felt like it was a little bit nitpicky. We're talking about... Six captains. Right. Now, Zamira only has one boat, and she's some incredible badass. Even if a couple of the other ones have a couple boats, let's say you're talking about a dozen boats at most, that's not a freaking Navy. Like, that's not a formidable force that you have to go out and eradicate. So Theo also points out that he he enjoyed the 
the scene with the shipbreaker, but he wondered how Locke is meant to have gotten there. He said, it feels like Port Prodigal wasn't a place a newcomer just turns up. That wasn't the impression I got. I got the impression that there were there was a kind of well-oiled system of shady merchants who would come to Port Prodigal to pick up super, super cheap stolen goods and then resell them to other more legitimate merchants for a vast profit. Yeah, that's So true. it's not unheard of for opportunistic tradesmen to come and make a buck at Port Prodigal. Probably but, dangerous for them, but... Yeah, and that's kind of where I thought the guy was, um, the shipbreaker was also sort of incensed by it because it was not unheard of, and he had clearly killed other competitors, but rare enough that it was sort of like, who the hell do you think you are? I think it was just sort of that perfect place where it s- put them off balance, but also wasn't so incredibly absurd as to make him, you know, question it on the face of it. So, yeah. He also talked about why the Archon never brings up the fact that it was Moraine, really, but in his mind, Locke and John killed all those guards at the prison, which I did not think about. That's a good point. That is a very good point. Hmm. So, on Twitter, Carolina, at, or Carolina, at Dilettante00, says, I just can't help but wonder, is there another podcast? (laughs) Seems like it would be awesome. We'll never tell. We'll never tell. We will never tell. (laughs) So Ian James Crone and Ian Crone says, if fans of the the Duke and Duchess are enjoying Scott Lynch, the gentleman bastards, they might also enjoy Sneaky Pete TV on Amazon. So... Is that a show? I don't know. I don't know either. You I know bet what? I would enjoy it. Seems like something we should probably go check out. We should probably go check it out. It looks like, yeah, it's season two of Sneaky Pete, now on Prime Video. Hmm. So it looks like something on Amazon Prime. Sweet. An Amazon Prime original. If you have comments on a call in on the Amazon Prime hotline at 877 Red Seas. Iman Economist said, thanks for the follow. I've been listening to your first few podcasts on the lives of Locke Lamora, and I'm loving the discussion. Looking forward to continuing to relive the series with you both. So a new uh, a new follower and a new listener, and we are very grateful. Thank you. Excellent. Welcome. Andy Keithley, who also runs the Guitar Cast podcast, said... Uh, I need new fantasy to read. Have either of you ever read Joe Abercrombie's First Law Trilogy, or what would you recommend after rereading A Song of Ice and Fire, Gentleman Bastards, and King Killer? Okay, you guys, don't ever ask me this question (laughs) if you don't want a book thrown at you. Like a book of book recommendations. That could be an awesome book. That would be an awesome book. Right? Cha-ching. There you go. Make that happen. So I believe I gave him a few suggestions, but yeah, you did. You can get on the Twitter there to read it. So Adam at LFC Adam eighty eight one eight five says, "It's my turn with Hector." No, it's my turn with Hector. I've only just stopped it coming from both ends. So as we talk more about our continued poor health, our so one white blood cell that we share between us. That's right. Yeah. Poor Hector. So another new another new listener, 
E.H. Mantle at Scruffy Mind says, Just wanted to thank the two of you for the wonderful podcast. So positive and thoughtful and intelligent. I love you guys' personalities and how you play off of each other. I'm listening to your podcast as I listen again to King Killer, starting the second book now. Thank you. So That's so nice. Lo- yeah, thank lots you very of, much. Lots of awesome comments this week. The other thing that I liked about this week is we got three new reviews on iTunes. Awesome. That's a big week for us. That's a big week. Yeah, so we got two uh, folks who gave us five-star ratings. And also, we don't know who you are, but you do. And we thank you for it. And we also got a comment from, and I hope I don't uh, pronounce, mispronounce this, but uh, Aratel, who said, I love this podcast. I truly appreciate the positive criticism and intelligent commentary. And the married host both have excellent banter and chemistry. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. It's good that we have chemistry. It's good. It is good. Makes marriage less crappy. It does. It does. (laughs) So that is everything there. Thank you guys very much for listening to episode 49. I'm really disappointed that none of you called in on the Amazon Prime (laughs) hotline. I was hoping to get some back and forth, but, uh, you know, you can't have everything. So for our next book club, we will be... At episode 50. Boom. And finishing this book. Well-timed. Super well-timed. So next up, we are going to cover Republic of Thieves, which is the third book in the Gentleman Bastard series. We are going to be doing an abbreviated coverage of it, kind of like with this book, five, maybe six episodes, because with this kind of plot-heavy books, it seems to work better that way. So we'll be tearing through it a little more quickly. Um, We are looking for input as to what we should do next. Um, Are you guys interested in hearing us cover Brandon Sanderson or Joe Abercrombie? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, throw us your... Yeah, throw us your... uh, Throw us your ideas. We would like to hear them. We're your podcast slaves. and We will do your bidding. (laughs) So, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on Twitter at the D and D Podcast. You can reach out to us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, and also on our Facebook group page by searching the Duke and Duchess Podcast on Facebook. If you if you have questions and you want advice, reach email us at advice at the Duke and Duchess Podcast, and dear Duchess will tell you what you should be doing. If only everyone would let me tell them what they should be doing. It, the world would be a much better place. I'd make a chart. People would have lots of scarves. <laughs> so that is it from us. Do you have anything else? Nope. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs>